Welcome to the Investor Download, the podcast about the themes driving markets and the economy now and in the future. I'm your host, David Brett. We're in the middle of the worst energy crisis in half a century. The cost of heating our homes is spiralling, the price we're paying at the pump is punishing and the knock-on effects for the cost of goods and services is crippling. The crisis is being blamed on three main issues, climate change, the pandemic and the war in Ukraine. We're seeing a hot, dry weather that uh, is bringing electricity prices up uh, everywhere in the world you can look. Well, the conflict in Ukraine and the sanctions on Russia have led to another surge in the cost of oil and gas. Traders are said to be struggling to sell Russian oil, even at a discount, because of difficulties in shipping and the payment process. The next factor has been about supply. So as the coronavirus pandemic has eased, more people have returned to work. Demand has gone through the roof again, and particularly in Asia and China, there's a lot more demand for gas, and that puts pressure on supply. The combination of all three has led to a huge spike in energy prices. The wholesale price of gas on the continent cost 10 times more in December than at the beginning of 2021. The impact on our everyday lives has been seismic, but proposed solutions so far seem to have had little impact on curing the energy crisis. So I spoke to my colleague Mark Lacey, a fund manager, and Richard Norse, founder of investment firm Green Coke Capital, about the crisis. Over three shows, we're going to discuss the trilemma facing the energy industry, which includes energy security and meeting net zero, and what investors could do to help solve them. But in the first show, we'll discuss the rising cost of energy, what's causing it, and what, if any, are the potential solutions. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts, you're listening to the Investor Download. Well, there's many factors contributing to the cost of living crisis, the price of energy is the major one. I think we need to remember that we do have an overall energy crisis globally. President Biden pointing the finger at energy giants as the average gas in the United States has topped five bucks a gallon for the first time ever. I'm going to be afraid to switch the lights on because the power bill is going to be ridiculous. It's a political hot potato with few in agreement on how to solve the problem. But this isn't the first energy crisis in living memory. In 1973, Egypt and Syria attacked Israel. The oil-producing countries of the Arab world decided to use their oil as a political weapon. The threat was economic. If you don't change your foreign policy, we will cut off your oil supply. Sound familiar? In the 1970s, it had a devastating impact on economies, from inflation to mass unemployment. Back then, as with now, suggested solutions ranged from windfall taxes and subsidies to rationing. Today, we also have the argument for greater use of renewable energy. We'll come to that a bit later. But just like 50 years ago, there might only be one immediate solution to ease the pain. In, in, in the short term, the, the only issue I think that needs to be um, resolved is, is demand. 
That's fund manager Mark Lacey. Demand has to fall as a result of the high prices. The reason demand has to fall is because supplier problems are unlikely to ease soon. You know, at the heart of why, you know, we have this energy crisis, it's not just because of Russia-Ukraine conflict, because at the moment a lot of those barrels haven't, haven't actually come off the market. It's just lack of investment across the industry, full stop. Annual investment in oil and gas supply fell from around $1.1 trillion in 2014 to about $350 billion in 2021. That's according to the International Energy Agency, or the IEA. Supply is a big, big, big issue. Um, in, the, in the near term, we need to invest. And this is the big problem with the energy system, is we've been encouraging particularly the fossil fuel companies for many, many years, since 2012, 2013, to not really invest. And it's a problem that's been exacerbated by climate change. Pressure has been put on the industry by policymakers to step away from new oil and gas projects and switch to cleaner energy. Climate change is a global problem that will require a global solution. The overarching goal was, and of course is, to make Europe the very first climate neutral continent in the world. You have to accept to change business models and behaviour of investors to finance green investments and to penalise those who don't make this move. We are committed to 100% clean electricity by 2035, net zero by 2050, and cutting our carbon emissions in half by 2030. Nothing we have presented today is going to be easy. It's going to be bloody hard. As pressure has increased to move on from so-called dirty energy, the cost of funding fossil fuel projects has spiralled. That's contributed to energy firms' reluctance to invest in new projects. What it's meant is that the cost of capital that's required for a fossil fuel project, certainly since 2018, started to creep up. And actually, as of today, if you speak to any management team in the fossil fuel industry in particular, uh, they would say they need at least a 20% cost of capital return before they'd even sanction an oil and gas project. Cost of capital is a company's calculation of the minimum return that would be necessary in order to justify undertaking a project. Ten years ago, the cost of capital for developing fossil fuel projects was about 15%, but not anymore. And even then, in oil, there's still, they're still 50-50 with oil prices where they are today before they even think about sanctioning the project. The outlook for oil demand hasn't helped. As we head towards 2030, countries like the UK have committed to banning the sale of petrol and diesel cars, reducing the need for fuel and boosting demand for cleaner electricity. Now, ministers at Westminster have unveiled plans for what they say is a green industrial revolution to hit the UK target of net zero carbon emissions by 2050. From 2030... The sale of new diesel-only and petrol-only cars will be banned. That's a decade earlier than originally planned. Which goes some way to explaining why the fossil fuel industry has been so slow to react and help ease the cost of living crisis. And even if they could, it's not like they can just turn on the tap. New projects take years, if not decades, to develop. You know, they've been under so much pressure to not sanction oil and gas projects. They've been reluctant to invest because of climate reasons. They've been reluctant to invest because of the cost of capital. And now we will have, unfortunately, suffer a period where you have this lack of energy flexibility. 
while a UN report found that renewable power and fuel investment rose for the fourth consecutive year in 2021, reaching $366 billion, it's still less than the half a trillion dollars invested in oil and gas projects in the same period. And remember, that figure invested in oil and gas has been significantly reduced from over a trillion dollars eight years ago. So where has all that spare cash gone and why haven't we seen it invested in renewables to give us the energy flexibility we need to help reduce costs? That's coming up in the next part of the show. Get in touch with us by email at shorterspodcasts at shorters.com or visit our website shorters.com forward slash investor download. A green recovery from the COVID-19 pandemic would have helped countries to build back better while driving economic growth and job creation. That's according to a report by the United Nations. Yet spending on clean energy amounted to around 3% of the $17 trillion spent to bolster economies from the recession triggered by the COVID-19 pandemic. That's according to the latest update from the IEA. It said the progress was insufficient and didn't match the growth in overall global energy demand. So why aren't energy firms, who are at the heart of this issue, acting to help? The coronavirus pandemic caused an economic shutdown unlike the world has ever seen. On April 20th, the effects of the pandemic forced crude oil prices in the futures market to sink below zero and into the negative territory for the first time in history. Oil prices plunged into negative territory. The price settled at, get this, negative $37 per barrel, which is down 305%, meaning people would pay you today to take their oil off their hands. They've come from a position of where oil prices went all the way down to zero, let's not forget that, and balance sheets were stretched, so they've been in the form of not just now reluctant to, to sanction projects, they've also been in debt pay-down mode. Which means they've been focused on looking after their businesses and shareholders during an historically difficult period. I'm very struck that um, oil and gas companies are, are you know, f- fascinating entities that they sort of um, have huge numbers of very competent, capable people. That's Richard Norse, founder of Greencoat Capital, a specialist manager dedicated to the renewable energy infrastructure sector, in which, full disclosure, Schroders owns a majority stake. He thinks big energy at the moment is just following the money and says that's less of a moral issue and more of a market fact. A number of them are starting to pivot, look at Bernard Looney and the folks at BP. To date, that pivot has been pretty small, as in I believe that the sort of kind of 10, 15% of their um, total capex is being directed into um, what I would call sort of renewable technologies, renewable new, new energy technologies, whereas the rest of it's going into their traditional fossil. Global oil and gas sector income is set to jump to $4 trillion in 2022, more than twice its five-year average, according to the IEA. Now, that doesn't make them bad people. It just means that the market, um, as they see it, provides better opportunities in what they've historically invested in rather than what they probably will invest more in in the future. In 2020, Clean energy investments by the oil and gas industry accounted for only around 1% of the total capital expenditure. But that was expected to rise to more than 4% in 2021, again, according to the IEA. 
That's still a long way short of the 50% which is expected by industry experts by 2030. It's a long road to get from where we are now to where they need to be in 2030, not to mention by 2050 to meet climate goals. When you look at the the targets and the ambitions of just the European integrated, it is mind-bogglingly significant. And yet... You know, BP, Shell, Total, even Exxon in the US that really doesn't have a clear renewables policy in our opinion. So what should they be doing in the short term? You know, we, as investors, we've been more active in trying to say you need to reduce your scope one and two emissions, but also scope three emissions. Scope one and two emissions are emissions from a company's own operations, both those from its own direct use of fossil fuels and those from energy it's bought from the grid. And scope three is the value chain emissions that the company is responsible for. So that's effectively delivering the ultimate product to the market. So clean up the way you produce the energy in the near term, then come up with a viable plan to invest in and deliver cleaner energy in the future. The good news for energy firms and investors is that the cost of capital for renewable projects is now somewhere between 3 and 10% for long cycle developments. And that's down from around 15% a decade ago. And it's only in the last few years we've really seen this surge towards renewables. And we know that they're needed long term. The IEA anticipated $750 billion to be spent on clean energy projects in 2021, but said that would need to triple in the 2020s to put the world on track to reach net zero emissions by 2050, and thereby keeping the door open for a 1.5 degree Celsius stabilisation of the rise in global temperatures. And, And because this investment is switching into, obviously, zero carbon solutions... Certainly you're going to see an energy response on the back of it, but again, it's not instant. It's not just investment. Nor says energy markets need to change the way they operate too. Um, and you also need a change in the way the market works um, to reflect the low cost of renewables and the price that customers pay rather than the marginal cost of the last plant needed on the system. This is how economic markets work, um, which is currently set by a gas-fired power station, which currently has a very high price. Which could be a cause of frustration for consumers in the UK. For instance, where just over half of the energy produced is already from low-carbon renewables and nuclear. In the next decade, it's expected that around 90% of energy produced will only come from something with low carbon in it. But the journey to get there will be different for each individual country. Now, in other European countries, clearly the, the situation is different. So France is basically mostly a nuclear country where they have significant ageing of their fleet and they have very large decommissioning that they're going to need to do. And currently over, I believe, 50% of the fleet is not actually generating. So different set of problems in Germany, obviously. Historically, they've essentially derived energy security from gas storage, but they forgot to fill them up and they handed over uh, management of those the gas storage essentially to Gazprom. Um, and also from, from their, their coal and lignite fired power stations, i.e. burning coal and lignite mined in Germany. The return to use of coal is another concern. In 2021, there was a 10% rise in investment in coal supply, led by emerging economies in Asia, with a similar increase likely in 2022 as countries look to plug gaps in the energy supply, again according to the IEA. Short term, however, Lacey says renewables are a fix relative to nuclear and definitely coal-fired plants. However, 
He likens the use of renewables in tackling the energy crisis, much like the shale industry in 2002. Renewables should be seen as just-in-time inventory in, in the power markets. So renewables, at least in the short term, won't be the silver bullet for the energy crisis that some had hoped for. There is no short-term fix, unfortunately. It's, it's going to only be demand destruction, which ultimately brings down prices in the short term. And we could already be seeing some demand destruction happening. You know, we are starting to see some of that demand destruction. Some of the data we get from retail stations throughout the country is starting to show a little bit of, of fading in, uh, in gasoline and same-store sales of gasoline. I think we've had enough wealth destruction so that we are finally seeing demand destruction literally all over the economy. Latest data from the US and Europe suggest that output is beginning to contract. However, that doesn't mean we're likely to see a dramatic fall in energy costs. The price of energy is likely to remain higher for longer. And I don't want to be the bearer of bad news, but in the short term, um, you will see this inflationary period being a little bit more structural in terms of power prices, because what impacts the consumer? It's your gas you choose to heat your home, but it's your power prices. And as you electrify and become more and more reliant on the electric vehicle, you've got this offset against oil prices being high because you've got high power prices. So it still costs a lot to charge your vehicle. And you have this window of about four to five years where unfortunately energy costs are high for the consumer and for the industrial user. And then as you start to get more and more renewables, which the intermittent capacity is matched with obviously storage, but also nuclear solutions as well. We think obviously modular reactors as an area which is, really makes sense. And a lot of technologies will provide the solution, not just one. Post that four or five year window, you start to see, or we envisage, just to be clear, that you will start to see declining or more moderating electricity prices. And again, it doesn't paint a comfortable picture, but in the short term, there is no quick fix without demand destruction for the power markets. And it's not only underinvestment we need to worry about. They also need to have energy security so that they're not held hostage by a Russian government with a hand on the tap, um, able to cut off gas and make sure that Germany's a dark and chilly place this winter if the, Mr Putin so desires. The threat to energy security, that's next time on our Energy Crisis Special. Here's what else investors are talking about. Russia's invasion of Ukraine prompted a sharp jump in the price of some food commodities, and the impact looks set to be long-lasting. In six charts, portfolio manager Felix Odi explains why higher food prices aren't going away. You can read his full article at schroders.com forward slash insights, where you can also read, watch and listen to much, much more. Well, that was a show. We very much hope you enjoyed it. If you want to find out more, check out our website, schroders.com forward slash the investor download. You can also get in contact with us about anything in the show or ideas for future shows at Schroders Podcasts at Schroders.com. Please remember to subscribe to us at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to leave a review. We're now doing one show a week, which will be available every Thursday from 5pm UK time. Thanks very much for listening, but above all, keep safe 
and go well. Cheers. The value of investments and the income from them may go down as well as up, and investors may not get back the amounts originally invested. Past performance is not a guide to future performance. The information is not an offer, solicitation or recommendation of any funds, services or products or to adopt any investment strategy.